was him, I'm sure. And uh, I just want to pray a little bit, pray here before Ryan starts uh, proclaiming the good news that uh, the Lord has shown him and that we'd be open to hear what he has to say in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Dearly Father, just thank you for Ryan and his response to the gospel in Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is uh, willing to come up here and share with us what you have been teaching him. I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts and our minds to, to the truth, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That you would give him uh, the words to say and us the ears to hear what he says. And uh, we do this uh, for your glory and honor. Lord, I want to thank you for the worship team and the, the songs that they sing and just uh, their gifting and the skills that you have given them. And uh, thank you for the gifting and the skills that you have given Ryan here. Praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Stacy. All right, so if uh, if you were expecting to hear about Mark this morning, we're in a sermon series on Mark, you'll be disappointed. Uh, we're taking a break from Mark to take a look at work. Uh, important cultural topic. Uh, relevant probably for a lot of us, so it seemed like it'd be worth a, a quick detour. So, does work matter? Why? If you step outside these walls, if you don't work in a serving field, as a nurse, a doctor, an emergency worker, teacher, caregiver, uh, if you don't work at, a, at the church, you don't work at a nonprofit, if you don't feel like you're really making a difference, if you don't have a glamorous job, or if you feel like just a small cog in a big machine, does your work matter? How do people approach work? So a couple themes, you know, it could be an exciting challenge. It could be a grind, a bore, a way to provide for self, for, for family, uh, a way to help people directly, a way to earn money to give it away. When we look at ourselves and when we look at others, we probably have a list of you know, what's acceptable and unacceptable reasons for work a list of good and bad motivations for doing the work that we do and for the work that others do. How about you? What, what drives you? What motivates you to work? Besides anything that may be good or bad with our responses, our responses indicate our response to that first question. Does our work matter? Take, take giving as an example. I mean, giving is great, right? Among reasons to have a job, choose a vocation, that seems like a pretty good one. However, if the reason for work is only to give money away, then I may not believe that my work itself matters. Money matters, but work is only instrumental, only a tool, only a means to get money. You can imagine how one might approach work differently if the work itself didn't matter. 
whether you know Christian or not, you can see a narrow uh, how a narrow legalistic approach to towards something good like giving could lead to chaos and brokenness and work. And speaking from the Christian perspective and focused specifically on business, Jeff Van Duzer, a former business school dean, says, for far too long, many Christians in business have accepted without challenge the notion that their work has only instrumental value. It may give them a platform to share their faith. It may allow them to earn an income and possibly a little extra to give to the church. But if pressed, many Christians in business would have difficulty saying why God might be interested in the actual work they are doing. I think there's a few common stages that we can end up in towards work. Uh, We can be in work and its purpose. We can be searching. Sometimes we're searching. We don't know what the purpose of work is. We're looking for meaning and purpose. Sometimes we're hoping. Sometimes we think our work is meaningful or think it could be meaningful, but we don't really have a good way of articulating why. Sometimes our view of work is instrumental. We have developed a view of work and some purpose for work, but that view implies that work is only instrumental, unimportant in and of itself. Uh, As we'll see, I think scripture has an answer to each of these. So as we seek to work as unto the Lord, uh, it's helpful to have a backdrop. So we can start in Genesis. Important to understand God's work and God's posture towards work. So we'll briefly read a few sections of Genesis 1. In chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light and saw that it was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Two quick observations. In creating, God gives order and form to the orderless and the formless. And God notices the goodness of his work, his good work. So now let's jump forward to verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds and it was so and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to their kinds and God saw that it was good so two more observations God makes plants and creatures with diversity with life with life and diversity that will multiply and grow as these creatures multiply and grow and fill the earth. And again, God notices 
the goodness of the created order, the goodness of the work of his hands. God notices good work. And we continue in verse 26, where we're reminded that there's something special about humans within the whole of God's created order. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then in chapter 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So, Van Duzer notes also that Clearly, it seems like God cares about the material world. Not just some, you know, lofty spiritual reality. This is a physical act um, and a physical world that God's very concerned with. This seems to be a primary focus in Genesis 1 and 2. Jeff also notes that the garden was created as a perfectly balanced and resourced starting point. People are called to work as co-creators with God, to steward the creation. God intended that men and women would take the raw materials that had been created and in partnership with God help to grow and construct the kingdom here on earth. Tim Keller says we are to be God's image bearers with regard to work. We are to be gardeners who take an active stance toward their charge. They do not leave the land as it is. They rearrange it in order to make most fruitful, to draw the potentialities for growth and development out of the soil. They dig up the ground and rearrange it with a goal in mind to rearrange the raw material of the garden so that it produces food, flowers, and beauty. And that is the pattern for all work. It is creative and assertive, Keller says. It is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. It's powerful. And although this truth and this vision, it never changes, um, but sometimes our tangible experience or tangible observations, physical experiences and observations, make this feel like a lofty, sometimes distant reality. 
Sometimes the hope and life of the garden seems like a distant reality. Experientially, while we may see flourishing, much of what we see and experience may seem to be far from any sort of flourishing. Likewise, we may feel helpless to really make a difference. While acknowledging the inherent goodness and dignity of work, we may feel downtrodden, tired, ill-equipped, underutilized. We see the brokenness of this world. We see the presence of selfishness all over this world. We see the consequence of the interaction of selfish people, broken choices, broken institutions. And we see this affecting our work. This week I watched Deepwater Horizon, a film account of the BP oil spill. It is tough to watch. You see this toxic corporate culture at BP strictly oriented towards speedy profits. Over the course of the movie, you see pride and shortcuts and carelessness and a lack of concern for flourishing. And I know how the movie will turn out in terms of casualties and, and an environmental disaster, but couldn't help but hope against what was happening before my eyes. In this case, knowing the end didn't seem to help. It almost made it worse. The prophet Jeremiah writes a letter to Israel while they are in exile, in captivity in Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters Multiply there, do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. And it continues in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, to Israel. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is such a striking passage. You have this sharp intersection of struggle and death and beauty in life. In terms of struggle, these people have been violently taken out of their homeland at the hands of a brutal king. For anybody who'd hoped that their exile would not last too long, this was their, we're going to be here for a while, moment. 
they'll be in this place for generations. But for all the struggle, which we can't dismiss or ignore because it's hugely important, for all the struggle, there's beauty. James Davidson Hunter points out the similarity with the Genesis moment. They were sent into exile, placed into this place, like Adam and Eve were placed in the garden. They were called to be fruitful and multiply again. They were called to live and work in this place, in Babylon. They were called to seek its welfare. Although Babylon may have been hostile to Israel, and Israel had a reason to feel hostile towards Babylon, Israel was called to seek the welfare and flourishing of Babylon. while they were called to maintain some of their distinctiveness as a community, they were called to do so for common good. For the common good. So we see a model for renewed cultural engagement in which work continues to play a role. It seems clear that this must be our model as the church, as a people who are not yet home, that this must be our model of cultural engagement as well. And as we think about working in exile, this engagement model, it's, it's so instructive and instructive not only at the macro level of how does the whole church in this country interact with its communities, with with all of our country as a whole, but then also this, you know, at the micro level, this church, this body, how do we interact with our communities, which may feel like exile, uh, and even as individuals within our respective spheres and workplaces. Again, we may feel rightly that there's, there's attributes of exile in our experience. So if over the course of the Genesis-related texts and quotes you were thinking, ah, do I need to leave my job at BP? And probably nobody here is presently working there, but you could substitute any other reason you could be called to leave a kind of crummy job. And in, in your specific case, the answer could indeed be yes, right? But... But in Israel's case, we can see something striking, that God has sent them into exile. God is still with them. God is still for them. God will bring them out of exile, but God has sent them into exile. So even if your job doesn't feel like it's designed, or your organization is designed to promote the flourishing like that of an empowered gardener, in our culture, even if your organization's values don't align with all of your own, God may have sent you there 
And surely God has sent us, a larger body of people that belong to him, a people who surely are not yet at home, God has sent us and kept us in exile. That is the reality of the Christian life. And we should live and work accordingly. Sometimes the place you're in doesn't seem like you have much power or influence to bring about flourishing, and you can't help but wonder, why have I been sent here? Sometimes work you work for a particularly bad organization or for a terrible boss. Sometimes the reality of exile, the reality of living in a world stained by sin, sometimes there are seemingly impossible choices, lose-lose options, lesser of two evil options. You can't get away from this tension. As good as it is, to be God's people, as good as it is to be made in the image of God and all that entails, as good as it is to have some flourishing already, the reality of exile can be hard. And when we're sharing in the flourishing of the, and the welfare of this world, it can still be hard. And so in texts like Isaiah 60 and in Revelations 21, you see drawn out and developed further the hope that we saw at the end of that Jeremiah passage, that hope that God would bring Israel out of exile. We see that our destination actually, too, is not back at the garden, but forward in a city. so where we pick up in, in Revelations 21, judgment has come and there has been a dramatic battle, evil has been destroyed but yeah, let's, let's pick up there so in, again in Revelation 21 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And then, starting in verse 22, it says, And I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty in the land and the city has no need for sun nor moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamp 
by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And the gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations. Bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we see the flourishing that God set forth in the garden culminating and yet growing in this city. We see a renewal. All things have been made new. There is no more pain, no more toil. Some have hypothesized that there will still be work in this city. But of course it will be a renewed work, a good work, a fruitful work, with no pain and no toil. This is a beautiful city where the Lord God lives with his people. And the kings of the earth bring their glory unto this true king. There is a lot of destruction in the preceding chapters, but Revelations echoes Isaiah in saying that the kings of the earth will bring their glory to this city. This gives us an example of Jesus' work to reconcile all things. And it gives us hope for the fruit of our own work. That the Holy Spirit could be using our work today to adorn the city of God for eternity. Even if our good and faithful work doesn't keep the oil rig afloat, even if we can't rescue everybody on board, even if we can't even rescue one person. Our work is not in vain. Even if our good and faithful work doesn't save our communities, our circumstances, our work is not in vain. N.T. Wright has a great quote that reflects this. But what we can and must do in the present if we are obedient to the gospel, if we are following Jesus, and if we are indwelt, energized, and directed by the Spirit, is to build for the kingdom. This brings us back to 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight once more. What you do for the Lord is not in vain. You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that is about to roll off a cliff. You are not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown onto the fire. You are not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are, strange as it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become, in due course, part of God's new world. 
So in closing, how should we work? We should work with dignity, or with, uh, with diligence, with quiet, with sincerity, and with excellence. Those are covered thoroughly in, in some of the Colossians and Ephesians studies we do in our house churches. Why do we work that way? We work for service to people, we work for witness of people, and we work out of this good news reality, this freedom, that we are no longer under the law, or looking for laws, and that we have a secured inheritance. We work with care and with earnestness, like that of God before and at the garden. We work for the ordering and the cultivation of the earth. Why? Because we were made in the image of God. We were given this mandate at creation to continue God's creative work. God loves his creation and God loves good work. We work with humility and discernment and reliance on the spirit. We work for the flourishing of our city, even this exilic city, as we know that it's somehow tied to our own flourishing. And then, and we work because we were sent into exile. God who loves us, who knows us, despite the difficulties, the gray situations, the lesser of two evil choices that we're presented with sometimes in exile, especially when we're working in exile. But we have confidence that the Spirit is working in exile and that our exile won't last forever. And we work with hope and confidence and with generosity We work for the blessing of this world and for its people amidst brokenness. And we work for the glory of Jesus in the city to come. Because someday there will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. All things are reconciled by Jesus and, and the glory of the nations and the wealth will be poured out on this magnificent city whose beauty and glory and order and flourishing will not end. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for the goodness of, of this world that you have made and the goodness of the way that you've made us. We thank you for the freedom and the power that that gives us to work with people in this world and do excellent good work in this world and for this world and thank you too for this this clarity that that we are in exile and that yet we're not alone in exile and that we won't be in exile forever lord so we even as we enjoy 
the blessings that you give us amidst exile, Lord, we look forward to being in this flourishing city. And we ask that we would have more and more an imagination and a vision for what that city will be like and, and the value of our work today in view of the, the, your work to secure that glorious, beautiful city forever. Thank you that our work is not in vain. Even when we can't stop evil, when we can't seem to hold it back, um, that we have this promise that our work is not in vain. Or may that, that give us confidence, hope, and generosity as we work. And continue to, again, Lord, renew our mind in work. Fill us with your spirit and give us discernment and, and wisdom in the difficulty of, of living and working in exile. Um, and again, Lord, continue more and more to fill us with your hope, the hope that is fulfilled in Christ and in this city of which Christ is at the center. So we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, at the end, if you're visiting, we do a quick Q&A. So not, uh, things aren't always clear. Opportunity to give comments, ask questions, clarify. Um, here's a couple questions that, uh, that I put together that you can feel free to reflect on or you can uh, ask questions.